Hello and welcome to another episode of the Breachside Broadcast, home of the finest voxcasting either side of the breach. On tonight's episode, we come to the third and final installment of our ongoing tale, and another great chapter in the history of Malifaux comes to a close. The ground has been set for the final confrontation between Mizaki and her father, the Oyaban of the Ten Thunders. I hope you enjoy part three of The Coming Storm, right after this word from our sponsor. This episode of the Breachside Broadcast is brought to you by McFadden's Rules for Duels, the ultimate authority on the regulations, etiquette, and legal ramifications of dueling on both sides of the breach. The third edition includes a full chapter on the dueling traditions of the Three Kingdoms, complete with full-colour illustrations of decapitations and maimings. Purchase your copy of Rules for Duels wherever books are sold. Toshiro stuck to the shadows of the quarantine zone. Even in passage, it was better for one as obviously undead as himself to not be seen walking in the light. A small pack of zombies shuffled along behind him, their rotting arms grasping the explosives that his descendant had given to him. They were not up to the caliber of troops that he would have preferred, but this was not a combat assignment. Instead of bravely leading his armies into battle, Toshiro was sneaking through the shadows like a dishonorable ninja. He sighed, producing a wet rattling sound in his chest. So much about the world had changed. He had come to realize that he did not care for the architecture of the Westerners, nor did he see any redeeming qualities in the residents of the quarantine zone. The living in this city were pathetic, honorless wretches, and the dead were not much better. None here would make worthy adversaries for the Katanaka clan. The Oyabun's request had been a troubling one. Toshiro recognized the need to appear strong, to seize the most prudent route to victory. He had once been in the Oiban's place. When he was alive, however, he had treated his ancestors with deference and respect. Instead, the Oiban treated Toshiro as a weapon rather than a leader. Never had he offered prayers for Toshiro's soul. Never had he visited the shrine that Toshiro haunted when he was not serving his family. Death had taken much from him but it had not stolen his competence. A Kamenu approached him from the shadows. Toshiro placed his hand upon the metallic creature, feeling the weight of its spirit. The soul that gave strength to the Kamenu's limbs also served the Katanaka long after its death. There was a sort of kinship between them that he valued. The Kamenu's spirit was calm. There was no threat to them here. A fan flicked open in Toshiro's hand and he waved it forward. His soldiers stumbled toward the fortified laboratory. The doors, he had been told, allowed easy access to the building, and were designed to keep things from escaping, not entering. It seemed a foolish design, but it also made this portion of his mission easier, so he chose not to complain 
and to simply accept the boon that the universe had offered him. As they approached McMorning's laboratory, a woman melted out of the shadows. Long claws were strapped to her forearms, and a mask of ancient design had been pushed up to the top of her head. Kadnaka Tashiro. She offered him a deep bow, and Tashiro recognized her. Tashiro lifted his fan, motioning for the zombies to halt. Sukada, I am surprised to see you here. That was what he intended to say. In actuality, the words came out more as a slur better fitting a drunken lout than a daimyo. She smiled at him, evidently having no problem understanding him despite his rotted tongue. Noble ancestor, my role as Sukon is only a deception. My real name is Minako Rei. I am the last surviving member of the Order of Balance. She pulled her mask down over her face, showing him the mark of her order. Toshiro made a sound that, if he were alive, might have been a laugh. Instead, a putrid stench wafted out from his exposed insides. I have not met one of your kind in many years. Am I the one you seek? He placed a hand upon the hilt of his ancient katana. It would be an honor to test my blade against one of your order. Minako shook her head a bit sadly. No, you are not my quarry. Not while you yet serve your family with honor and distinction. She pushed her mask back onto the top of her head. I am here as part of my duty, nevertheless. The one who gave you this mission has fallen from the path of righteousness. His karma is pulling him toward his final reckoning. She turned her hand, drawing his attention to the long metal claw strapped to her forearms. I will stop you if I must. Toshiro stared at her for a time. I have always respected your order, Toshiro slurred. Your opposition to the Oyobun casts light upon my own doubts. The doubts many share, Minako agreed. I implore you, noble ancestor, abandon the mission that was given to you. There is no honor in following the orders of a man who has lost his way, especially when his daughter walks the path of righteousness. Toshiro's loyalties fought inside him. His betrayal and subsequent murder by his own troops still haunted his memories, and as such, the very idea of insubordination was anathema to him. Obedience and duty were paramount. Mizaki knew her duty, but in his mind she lacked obedience. She would be a strong leader one day, but was this her time? Would Toshiro be making a mistake by helping her, or a mistake by following his orders? He could not be sure. He knew there was always a price for change, though, and perhaps this was it. I am conflicted, he admitted, the words coming out of his dead mouth like verbal sludge. If you stand with Mizaki, though, I shall put my faith in your order. My mission will fail. Minako offered the ancient daimyo a deep bow. Thank you, Katanaka Tishiro. Mizaki entered the pagoda much like last time. Her father had summoned her, and she came. This time, though, the scales were weighted in her favor. As soon as she entered the Saki house, all conversation ceased. Mizaki, sit. Her father's voice left no room for argument. She obeyed, seating herself at his table. The Saki bar was eerily silent, and the Oyaban had clearly abstained today. 
Oyabund, I am honoured by your summons. She feigned a smile. He didn't bother trying to hide the anger in his voice. Stop with the false pleasantries, child. What did you do? Nothing, father. Surely you have had eyes on me. I did nothing. Her smile was more genuine this time, but it had the hint of something darker hiding behind it. The Oyabun almost growled his response. You ruined my plans. Mizaki smiled. Your plans fell apart. She was speaking loudly enough for everyone to hear. I am surprised you would blame me, father. Were you not calling me incompetent just a few days ago? How could an incompetent girl ruin the plans of the mighty Oyabun? His eyes narrowed dangerously. My plans failed, yes, because of your meddling. The Katanaka would have ruled in Malifaux had you not stepped in. She tilted her head in mock confusion. I admit, father, I am not surprised to learn that the plans I predicted would fail did, in fact, fail. But anyone can see that I had no hand in their failure. I have been here, or at the Hidden Tiger since my chastisement, trying to be of some use to the Thunders. The Oyabun reached across the table and struck her again. She expected it this time, but she made no move to block the awkward strike. Your lies sicken me, Mizaki. You used our own agents to impede our efforts. A small amount of blood trickled from her lips as she spoke. Are you suggesting that you have lost control of our agents? She looked back up to him, defiance burning in her eyes. Father, perhaps you should not speak of such things in public. A lack of control does not speak well of your leadership capabilities. Father, you dare call me that after what you've done, he roared at her. As he stood, he overturned the table sending dozens of sake glasses tumbling onto the tatami mats. His rage was so immense, Mizaki could almost feel it in the air, and none of the servants took so much as a step toward the fallen drink, paralyzed with fear. I am not your father, and you are not my daughter. What you have done is inexcusable. You have permanently damaged the Ten Thunders, and you are not fit to bear the name Katanaka. I cast you out. I cast you out as a thunder, and I cast you out as a daughter. You are Ronin, and you shall live out your days in obscurity. The entire room was deadly silent. No one moved, and many dared not even breathe. Instead of hanging her head in shame, Mizaki lifted her chin in pride. The affront to my honor is too much for me to bear, since we are no longer family. I challenge you to a duel to refute your claims. The Oyabun laughed. A duel? Such ancient customs are relics of the past and should be discarded in these modern times. I am no fool. I will do no such thing. They both heard whispers then. Where before there was silence, the veil of respect had begun to break. The Oyabun had insulted the traditions of the past, he had refused a duel. Neither could make out the soft words being whispered behind raised fans, but the cadence was unmistakable. They were questioning. Questioning whether the Oyabun's grip was slipping. Questioning whether he feared his daughter. Questioning whether he should have accepted the duel. She smiled at him. She let their whispers fester for a few moments longer before replying.
It is the traditions of the past that define our future. It is our ancestors that give us strength. The guild attempted to control the destiny of the three kingdoms with their foreign customs, but we rejected their corrupt ways and returned to the lessons of our past, to freedom. Now, more than ever, we should embrace our traditions, for they are what define us. The whispers changed. Ascent. The Boxer Rebellion had reignited a desire to return to the traditional values of the past. The people wanted to return to the culture of their ancestors. Grim realization flashed on the Oyabun's face. He was losing this battle. You have gone too far, Masaki. If you wish to throw your life away, I will accept your duel. For your actions, there can be only one outcome. In one week, we will duel to the death. Gasps of surprise accompanied Mizaki's bow to the Oyabun. In one week. They all gathered at the hidden temple in the foothills of the Ten Peaks. Mizaki stood in the middle of the temple grounds facing the Oyabun. Her thoughts were cluttered. Too many spun around her head uncontrollably, distracting her and preventing her from focusing. She questioned whether she should have undermined her father, whether the jewel had been the right way to settle things, whether she could kill the man that had raised her. What's more, she questioned the future. If she won, what would that mean for the Ten Thunders or the Katanaka family? How many would support her if she rose to power in this way? Most of her thoughts, however, were overwhelmed by the one that loomed over her mind like a storm cloud. Could she defeat him? The Oyabun had always been a talented fighter, and though he was much older now, he had never neglected his training. He had been taught by Yamaziko the same as her, and her sensei had always compared her unfavorably to his legacy. He was graceful, strong, and quick. Mizaki gripped the katana at her side. It had never been her weapon. Doubt began to creep into her soul. Around her, the most important members of the Ten Thunders had gathered. Monks, ninjas, informants all watched from the shadows, waiting to learn the future of their organization. Many were loyal servants of the Oyabun, though a few had shown up to support her challenge. Lucas McCabe stood a short distance away, speaking to his friend, Sidir. Mei Feng had arrived, and she stood near McCabe, looking grim. She was surprised to see that Lynch had come as well, despite having been on the Oyabun's side not more than a week ago. She suspected that the casino owner was hoping that some of his infamous debt might be forgotten in the chaos of a regime change. It was just the sort of high-stakes gamble that she would expect from him. Next to Lynch stood Asami Tanaka, the two of them were trying to make polite conversation, but they clearly made each other uncomfortable. Mizaki knew that they were risking their lives with such a blatant show of support, and she hoped that she wouldn't make them regret their choice. In the center of a group of monks stood Shen Long, the master of the five temples. He had been chosen to play host, and would be officiating over the jewel today. Opposite them were the Oyabun's generals and their many agents. There were far more people gathered on her father's side of the room than her own, 
She had hoped that her words would have had more of an impression upon them. Mizaki felt her hand beginning to tremble. A lifetime of training had not prepared her for killing her father. The shaking intensified, but a sharp slap on her sword hand stilled it. Mizaki spun around to see Yamaziko standing behind her, Yari held in her hand. Steal your courage, child. You are the coming storm. Your father can stand against the wind without faltering, but it is the lightning which will fell him. Mizaki bowed deeply to her mentor, confidence surging in her breast. Behind Yamaziko stood Ototo, and Mizaki bowed to him as well. Ototo, my friend, thank you for being here. His reaction was lost behind his mask, but he clapped his hands together, creating a noise that could be felt by those around him. Reaching out, he touched his hand to her chest, palm out. Now you have the thunder. She smiled at him and turned back toward her father. Shenlong had already moved to stand between them. Today is a duel to the death between Beojin Katanaka and Mizaki of no name. Should the Oyaban win, the heavens shall know that Mizaki sabotaged the Ten Thunders and her name shall be spat upon as a traitor. Should Mizaki win, she will be restored to the name of Katanaka and she will prove that the accusations against her are false. With his proclamation, the crowd fell silent. She bowed to her father, and he did the same, and then they both straightened and fell into fighting stances. Mizaki felt the blade in her sheath, the electric energy of anticipation that put her on edge, urging her to draw her weapon and strike. She held on to the lightning in her soul and stared at her opponent, taking his measure. Her father's stance was sure, his eyes confident. She felt his anticipation on the wind. Their eyes locked onto each other for what felt like an eternity. The moment of truth had arrived. At her back, the wind picked up, and with a sound of thunder, she drew her blade. Her feet moved on their own, crossing the distance between them in the blink of an eye. In a moment, her father's head lay at her feet, his sword undrawn. The wind seemed to swirl around her, and after a moment she flicked the blood from her blade, sheathed it, and bowed to her fallen opponent, to her dead father. Chen Long stepped forward and addressed the crowd. Mazaki Katanaka is the winner, he announced, his voice carrying over the din of the shock conversation. Tukon stepped out from the crowd, approached Mazaki, and went to her knees in front of the other woman. The crowd fell silent. In that silence, everyone in the room could hear the words she spoke. I swear my service to your cause, Oyaban. The other generals had begun to shout in anger and reach for their weapons, but Mazaki silenced them with a deadly glare. Mine will not be a regime of fools, she commanded. End them. McCabe and Sadia drew their sidearms as Mei Feng crouched down and sprung forward, her metal claws flexing anxiously. Lynch's eyes rolled back into his head as a brilliant darkness, like a smudge on reality, began to spill out of his mouth and nostrils. At the same time, Azami's hair rose up and snapped forwards, curling around the limbs of the surprised generals like restraints. It was over in minutes. The Ten Thunders had a new 
euer Bahn. That's it for another episode of the Breachside Broadcast. Join us next time for more Tales of Malifaux.